0: All right, a little bit of a different direction today uh, for Advent the next few weeks. I'll start by saying this. Grace of Ann is not what you would call a liturgical church, although technically every church has a liturgy. Uh, liturgy just refers to like the arrangement of a worship service. Everybody has some kind of structure. Uh, you know, we pray, and then we sing, and then we pray, and then we preach, and then we sing, and then we pray. I mean, there's, a, there's an order, and that is liturgy. But liturgy can also refer to kind of an order or structure in a calendar year. There again, ours may not be as detailed as some, but we do at least mark certain days on the calendar, Christmas, Easter, uh, that is liturgy. And one thing that more liturgical churches generally observe is a season known as Advent, which, and they might have an Advent candle or wreath or, you know, something with that, but... uh, it's just the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it is intended to be simply a time of preparation, a time to prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate Christ again, um, so that we don't just slide into Christmas and let it slide by, but really focus our hearts and minds on Christ at Christmas. So, even though we're not typically, um, you know, we're not as liturgical as some, each year I try to set a few Sundays aside for Advent, and this year you're really getting extra because we've been talking about the king and his kingdom in Daniel for weeks, so we've kind of been doing that already, but um, we're going to continue our Advent meditations for the next three Sundays, and uh, my hope simply that the Lord will use this time to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, enrich our Christmas, and uh, I do want to pray again to that end, so let's pray. Father, we um, we are busy people. We have busy lives, um, even busier this time of year. And we confess that uh, oftentimes we do just slide through times and seasons that we wish we made more important or were more impactful. Or um, so, Lord. We're asking for your help. We're asking that you would tune our hearts and minds uh, to you today, uh, throughout this Advent season, in our own private devotional lives, in our family lives, um, that you would do something that we can't do in and of ourselves and uh, give us that blessing to glorify you and honor you and worship you this Christmas. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, what I want us to think about today is uh, what theologians call the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Anybody know what that is? It's really okay if you don't. Dr. Young asked the staff recently, and we were all like, tip of my tongue, you know, help me out. And uh, it's the, uh, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so when he said, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was thinking. You know.
1: roll his eyes nobody...
0: Have I not taught you anything? It's like, you just, even if you do think you know it, it's like to be wrong, it's just not worth it. Just rather appear to be an idiot. Uh, hypostatic means personal. So it refers to the personal union or one person union of the two natures of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. He has a divine nature. He has a human nature uh, joined together in one person, again, what theologians have called the hypostatic union. Now, this is one of the truths that we're confronted with at Christmas. I mean, you know, we see the baby in the manger, and we start to think, what is the significance of the baby in the manger? Well, we're celebrating the God-man. We're celebrating... um, Jesus being fully God and fully man, come to earth, and and all of that. So what I want to do first is just point to a couple passages where we see these truths uh, and then talk about a little bit of the significance of that. How about Daniel 7? You can turn there if you want, if you want to put your eyes on it. But we've been studying Daniel the last few weeks, um, and we see in verses 13 and 14, Of Daniel chapter 7, Uh, this is a part of Daniel's vision, and it says, There came one like a son of man, he came before the ancient of days, that's God. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom shall never be destroyed." So, we've talked about the fact that uh, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title to refer to himself by. It's uh, something like 50 plus times in the Gospels. And when he does that, he's referencing the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, which was 500 years before his time. And he's saying, That's me. And, you know, commentators will talk about the fact one of the things, this points to his humanity. Son of Man is a title that that points us to his humanity. But when we see that title used in context in Daniel chapter 7, we see that it's also referring to his divinity. The everlasting king of God's everlasting kingdom. uh, Who would be everlasting but God? And so we're not only seeing Jesus' humanity in Daniel 7, we're also seeing... His divinity. How about John chapter 1? Turn, turn to John chapter 1. Uh, follow as I read. I'll read all the way 1 through 18. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Nope, that's not right. That's First John. John chapter 1. It's like, that's a really different translation. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So, uh, in this passage we can go into talking about the word, uh, the logos in Greek, and what that means. It was a term that was common to all of the leading philosophers of jesus's day in fact that was their main goal in their studies was to find the logos the word uh the reason for being the the integration point of all things the the one thing that held everything else together so john speaks into that culture and and he says jesus is the logos jesus is uh what we are all searching for he is the one that holds everything else together he is the main point he is the integration point of all things that's a that would be a rich study but I really just want you to see that his humanity his divinity are both referred to in this passage verse 14 the word became flesh dwelt among us so you know one of the things that he's saying here is this you know philosophical idea is not just floating around in the clouds but has actually come and uh, is a human being is among us one of us and uh, we have seen his glory And ultimately, it tells us that this is referring to Jesus. So Jesus became a man. He became flesh. Um, In John chapter 1, we see Jesus humanity, but we also see his divinity. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is God. Jesus is the... uh, was the primary agent of creation. Everything that was made was made through him. So again, uh, in this we see Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Now, uh, fewer people throughout history have had issue with Jesus' humanity. You know, mostly it's the claim to divinity that people really want to fight against. There were those like the Docetists who were prominent in like the 200s BC and they were saying that Jesus' humanity was just an illusion. He wasn't really human. He just appeared to be human. Uh, But in the main, most people accept Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph. It's that claim to divinity that, you know, where we lose him. Even those who obviously hate him, like Jews, like Muslims, they don't have a problem with his humanity. Uh, It's the claim to divinity. But of course... They don't reject it because it's not taught in the Scriptures. I mean, they see it there. They do reject the Scriptures because of that. They just reject who Jesus himself claimed to be. Jesus' most obvious claim to divinity was in John chapter 8. Uh, you can turn there if you like. And at this point in John, he, um, he's teaching some of the I am statements. For example, John 6, I am the bread of life. Early John 8, I am the light of the world. Um, And the observant Jewish listener would pick up on these I am statements and connect them to Exodus chapter 3 where God had revealed himself to Moses. You know, God speaks to Moses in the burning bush and he's going to send him to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. In response to that, Moses says, well, who do I tell them you are? Who do I say has sent me to get them? Where God replies, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Uh, It's a name for God. Yahweh, I am. But if the Jews weren't catching that connection, I'm sure some were. They certainly caught it at the end of chapter 8. Somebody read John 8, uh, 57 to 59. I'll read it. All right. So the Jews
1: said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, for Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple.
0: So why did they pick up stones to throw at him? He
1: was They thought he was blaspheming.
0: Yeah, because he said, I am. Uh, he called himself, I am. He was claiming to be Yahweh. He he called himself God. They didn't believe him, and so the charge for blasphemy would have been stone him. Um, But certainly they understood his claim. They understood what he was saying. He was saying, he is, I am. Now, this is one of the reasons that we should never let people get away with saying, um, you know, they don't think Jesus is God. They just, they don't think he's the savior. They just think he's, you know, a good person, like a good influential person, a good teacher, Muslims say this. Muslims think that Jewish was a good person, a good influential person. They think he was a prophet. But Jesus didn't leave us that option. I love the famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, Jesus is either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. You know, we could add to that. He's either God or he's a goon. But he didn't leave us the option of uh, just being a good influential person, just a good moral teacher. So at least if anyone says that, um, I was recalling a time recently where someone said that to me and at a family gathering, I think Jesus was just misunderstood. I don't think he intended for, you know, all of this to happen. And uh, at least we could say, well, that's not what the Bible says, you know. And uh, John chapter 8, for example, Jesus claimed to be God. Do you know what he meant when he said before Abraham was, I am? You know, that's a reference to when God revealed himself to Moses, tell him I am since you. Jesus is saying, that's me. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, uh, one of the things I want to highlight here is this hypostatic union, it creates a sort of tension for us. Not maybe the same tension for others, like we don't believe what he says, but, you know, how is that possible? Fully God, fully man, you know, it just stretches the mind. I can't comprehend it. Um, If you go to the Christmas concert tonight, there's a video that a few of us talk about this, so you're getting a sneak preview now, which is lucky you. But uh, before we started shooting the video, Brady said something. He said, man, if I'm honest, this doesn't just like totally compute for me. You know, I mean, I I get it. I understand what we're saying, but I have a hard time with it. Like I don't fully grasp... um, how this is so and I said you really need to say that on the video he's like great you know I'm going to be the one that doesn't get it but uh, I said I think you're speaking for pretty much everybody I mean I think that's the way we all feel when we you know fully God fully man it creates a tension for us and I think it would be really helpful if you would say that um, you know for everybody on the one hand Jesus is the eternal Son of God. I mean, we read that in John chapter 1. He, he doesn't have a beginning. He, he always was, He always he is, and He always will be. He, he was there before time began. He is the primary agent of creation. He is God. I am. And uh, on the other hand, He entered into creation at a particular point in time with limits. On the one hand, God has no needs. On the other hand, Jesus had needs. Jesus is God. But Jesus needed diaper changes, and He needed to nurse. And when He grew up, He still needed to eat, and He still needed to go to the bathroom, and He was a man. But He was fully God. But He was fully man. Um, So in light of that, one of the things I said to Brady and one of the things that I want to say to you is that the hypostatic union is a mystery and uh, we need to be okay with that. There's a couple temptations to avoid in regard to this. Number one, we could think this is so confusing I'm just going to throw my hands up in despair and not engage with this truth and engage with God uh, in light of this truth. But on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum... We tend to treat the knowledge of God like a math test or a science test. You know, uh, okay, fully God, fully man. Check, got it. Next question. You know, we just want to make sure we got our points all lined up, and uh, we, we know fully God, fully man, and, and that's easy. But the reality is this really is a mystery. Uh, it's, it's far greater than what we can comprehend in our finite minds We're not just learning math facts. We're learning about the Almighty God. God is infinite. We are finite. And you know, God has given us some insight into who He is. But even if we are full of wisdom and understanding, even if we were perfected in wisdom and understanding, we're still finite. He's still infinite. We're like a thimble full of water next to a never-ending ocean. And... um, You know, even though we have some wisdom and understanding, it's not as though we have comprehended God. It's important for us to understand that right knowledge of God is meant to lead us to humility. Not to the sensation of, we've got this, like you aced a math test. But it's meant to lead us to that sense of, this is too big for me. You know, I am in the presence of someone and something that is completely other than me, greater than me. Uh, it, it ought, when we truly know God, it leads us to humility, recognizing He is God, we are not. He is creator, we are creation. It's meant to lead us, when we truly know Him, it's meant to lead us to fear Him, to be in awe and reverence and wonder at who He is. The right knowledge of God is meant to lead us to worship. And the mystery involved in certain truths, like the hypostatic union, is very helpful in that, actually. So don't throw up your hands in despair and and neglect to draw near to God because it puts your brain in a clinch. You know, I think it does that for all of us. But also, don't approach God so simply that we think, well, I've got that and I'll move on to the next thing that I need to learn. Um, meditate on the mystery of the hypostatic union that Jesus has revealed himself to be fully God and fully man. And and might that lead us to wonder and to fear him and to love him and to serve him and to worship him? All right. uh, One of the things I want to say to close is why does this matter, the hypostatic union? Why is this important for our salvation? Think about this. Above all, the law is a revelation of God's character. It is, uh, it's also a revelation of the covenant stipulations that God's people have to keep in order to remain in right relationship with Him, right? But above all, it's revealing God. It's revealing His character. And so one of the things it's revealing is we can't keep it. Humanity cannot measure up to God. No man can. Only God can. But Jesus came to earth, fully God, and He kept the law on our behalf. He lived in our place, keeping the law, fulfilling all righteousness, what only God could do. And Jesus, being fully God, did just that. That said, on the other hand, it was mankind that had sinned against God. And uh, it was mankind that was in debt to God for our sin. And Jesus came to earth fully man to go to the cross on our behalf as our substitute in our place for our sins as a man. Of course, in order to have the perfect, uh, righteous, spotless substitute that was needed, He would have had to have been God because He would have had to have kept the law. But you see why Jesus being fully God and fully man is necessary for our salvation. If He wasn't God, He never would have kept the law. If he wasn't man, it, he never would have been our substitute. It was man that had sinned against God. And so this isn't just some far-off distant truth. It is mysterious, and it ought to lead us to wonder and worship. But there's also direct um, import for our salvation and, and the you know, significance of, uh, of our salvation. All right, does anybody have any questions about that or comments? Got a little bit of time. Will? So did Jesus lose his power when he came to earth as a baby? <clears throat> did Jesus lose his power when he came to earth as a baby? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he forfeited his power, he forfeited his right to uh, what was rightfully his as you know, Lord of glory, and uh, subjected himself to the um, limits of humanity. But at the same time, he does say, as a grown man, I could call legions of angels right now. You know, so there was a certain power and authority that he still had, but that he... um, Willingly let go by in order to accomplish the purpose for which he came. What do you think? No. I just,
1: I just wanted
0: to... Yeah. Well, and one thing that has been stretching my mind. Um, he's he became man at a certain point, you know, <laughs> like. But he is fully God and fully man, and. Uh, he, I think, uh...
1: He laid it aside. we can't say he lost it. Right. It was taken from him.
0: He didn't become less than God. Right. Right.
1: Little things we say sometimes. Shop it.
0: That's an important distinction to make.
1: So he had full power and dominion. He just chose not to exercise it. Yeah, I think what the theologians over history have said is he laid aside. Chris said he willingly forfeited whatever he Yeah, yeah got to be on
0: this terms right? Um, not that
1: it just disappeared because otherwise that would make them less than fully God right? But specifically talking about Philippians it, it says Jesus it says though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men
0: that's a good way to, he emptied himself but he did it, right? Yeah,
1: it says he was he was equal with God. Yeah. but he humbled himself, and he didn't consider that something to be great. He was humble, and he chose to take the form of a Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's the the tensions that we feel. I think throughout is you can go back and forth with that, and it's a good thing to do. I mean, that's a good. It talks about Jesus learning obedience through what he suffered, and you go, wait, what? How? He's God. How did he? need to learn anything did he need to learn anything or did he choose to learn something or you know um, but again that it would lead us back to fellowship with God and
1: presumably in the flesh he felt pain I mean the, mm-hmm. the Bible says that and he um, I think probably you could say he was when he said father you know why have you forsaken me I mean he, he felt the emotions that we feel yeah But then at the same time, it's like, wow, he had all those aspects of humanity, but then he
0: still had his aspects. He got fussy with his mother. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but he, yeah. Um, You know, we'll we'll talk about, uh, I mean, just the incarnation and God. Next week, I think we're going to talk about condescension. And you think, God is condescending? No, that's not what it means. Uh, But just that he is so um, beyond us that in order for us to have any understanding whatsoever, he would have to stoop in order to reveal himself. And the greatest example of that is the incarnation. I mean, you know, that God became a man. (laughs) But that is the links to which he has gone so that we could know him. If he didn't reveal himself to us, we would never know him. He's God. And uh, and yet he has condescended, you know.
1: I like it's so funny to explain this to your children. You know, you think you understand it. And then when they repeat back to you what you say, you realize how you can't really explain it, you know, like, to the two-year-old, who was born? God? No, it was Jesus. Cole, that isn't Jesus God? Yeah. You know, you're like, yes, that doesn't make sense, ends, right? we think we get it, but we can't, I mean, even in our minds, like, you can't, anyway, which makes it even more incredible that you're like, yeah, the Trinity is always together, but... yeah that's Jesus and God. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, Davis, I was wrong. You know, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just funny hearing that back because you're like, "That's true. Is more incredible than
0: we can. And more than we could ever comprehend. I mean, we cannot come to full comprehension of God. But I have a professor that's talked, it's just been so helpful to me that he talks this way. I mean, the holiness of God and, you know, we maybe we don't talk about this enough, but, we can't comprehend Him. He gives us a little bit of understanding, but even so, we're going to be growing in our understanding for all of eternity. And we're like, that sounds boring, you know? <laughs> what are we going to do? Just worship? But, uh, you know, there is just, uh, there's such a gap in our finite minds we can't comprehend. I think you can
1: appreciate the holiness part much more than you the humility part, the, right? I mean, the humanity part, and then you can sort of understand the humanity part because we're human. But then, yeah. that seems contra- you know completely contradictory to the holy part.
0: Well, and that's the problem that so many have—the Jews or the Muslims—or you know that just sounds so blasphemous that we would say that God was you know in such a humble position um, that He needed something from a man, a woman. And uh, but if we don't get that, then we don't have salvation. I mean, that is how God provided our salvation is His humility in Christ. You know that He would come, that He would live in our place, that He would die for our sins. Not only did He humble Himself to become a man, but even to die on the cross. I mean, that's how the Philippians passage goes. Is this kind of progression of humility upon humility? And
1: then he even gets the point. Exalted on high yeah. because of his humility.
0: Right. Which becomes our example. Jesus is much more than our example, but he's not less than that. And, uh, you know, follow him in his humility, and at the right time, in the right seasons, in the right places, God will exalt you. You know, he will um, honor that humility in the ways that it should be honored. Good stuff. All right, let me pray. Father in heaven, you are God and there is no other. Lord, you are beyond us. You are infinite, full of glory, holy, holy, holy. Lord... um, And yet you have revealed yourself to us and uh, humbled yourself. And if you didn't reveal yourself, we wouldn't know you. But Lord, we confess that we often fall to the other side and think because we've got some points of theology that now we know you. So use this to uh, humble us. We do know you truly. We know you as you really are, but we have not fully comprehended you. And we never will. We will always grow in our wisdom and understanding of who you are. And Lord, uh, we confess, though our, our minds can't comprehend it and our emotions aren't quite caught up with it, that is a glorious reality. And we thank you that that we truly do know you, the one true God, and, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Would you use uh, these meditations on the hypostatic union? Uh, Lord Jesus, the fact that you're fully God and fully man, would you, would you use these truths to uh, stoke in us awe and reverence and fear and wonder and worship that we might better truly know you and love you and serve you? All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Very good.